Welcome to 29th Floor Sunday School. This is a podcast intended to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I am host Ben James, and every week I lead you through the lessons in a way that is intended to help you better understand the scriptures, make you think about important questions, and strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ. You can also find the video version of these lessons on my YouTube channel, titled 29th Floor Sunday School. If you find these lessons useful, please consider becoming a subscriber. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, welcome to 29th Floor Sunday School. Glad you can join me today from my office in central Hong Kong as we study together the Come Follow Me curriculum for January 13th through 19th. And in today's lesson, we will be discussing chapters 8 through 10 of 1 Nephi. Well, uh, today's lesson, I'm really excited about. It's uh, a little bit challenging because after giving us seven chapters of material to discover last week, uh, this week the uh, powers that be in developing the curriculum for this lesson have only given us three, uh, one of which is only six verses long. Um, And so there's not nearly as much material to cover. And in addition, chapter eight, which we'll be discussing, Um, is going to be repeated in next week's lesson, because chapter 8, of course, is Lehi's uh, dream or Lehi's vision. And then in next week's lesson, we're going to talk about Nephi's uh, receiving of the exact same vision. So it's interesting the way the Book of Mormon is set up, and that we get this vision, kind of a a summary version of the vision in chapter 8. And then starting in chapter 11, which will be next week's lesson, Uh, Nephi uh, receives the same vision and goes through it in considerably more detail, including uh, further explanation as to what things mean. Uh, But I think that's going to work well because today we're going to kind of lay the foundation uh, as to how to understand this vision and how to to approach uh, this vision in a way uh, that, that I think is why Lehi received it in the first place, why Nephi received it in the first place, and more importantly for us, why we should care, why this vision uh, is important to us. And so that'll be the focus of today's lesson, is laying the foundation as to the context in which we should view and understand uh, this incredible vision. Um, And then next week, as Nephi uh, gives us greater explanations, we'll be able to walk through those, and that that should be uh, very meaningful. So without further ado, let's dig into... Uh, chapter 8 here in First Nephi. Um, and we start, of course, by, let's remember where we're at here. Last week we talked about how uh, the, they've, they fled Jerusalem. They're here in what Lehi has named the Valley of Lemuel. Um, it's now not only Lehi and his family, but they've also went and got uh, Ishmael's family. They have Zoram with them as well. So this is a pretty uh, healthy caravan here of people. Um, and they've uh, and they're here in the valley. Uh, they're they're here in this valley, uh, the Valley of Lemuel, as Lehi's named it. And uh, we don't really have a lot of details as to how long uh, they've stayed here. Of course, their entire journey throughout the wilderness took them many years, uh, seven or eight years. And so, uh, clearly, they in certain parts they they stopped and stayed. Uh, for extended period of times, and it, and it seems like uh, their duration in the Valley of Lemuel was one of those periods in which they were uh, stopping for, for perhaps normal than, uh, longer than they normally might have. So it's here while they're in this valley, 
that Lehi gets this vision. And the first thing that he does when he gets this vision is he tells it to his family. Um, and certainly it's uh, likely that Ishmael's family and also Zoram also heard uh, this explanation, although Lehi doesn't specifically mention them in the dream. He only mentions his uh, immediate family uh, or the only individuals within the dream that he specifically names. But that's kind of a little bit of background as to where uh, we are at. We've already gotten some glimpse as to uh, the characters within the story. Uh, we know that Nephi, being the author, um, is, is, is righteous. He goes and does the things that the Lord commands him to do. Uh, and, and Sam follows him. Uh, Soraya, we got a, a, a beautiful glimpse of hers. She's so human, right? Sometimes she can lose faith. Um, and then the Lord gives her a tender mercy and her faith is back on again. It's just completely like everyone else in the world. Uh, completely understandable. Um, and of course, Lehi is this a wonderful father figure who leads his family in righteousness and by revelation. And, and Laman and Lemuel are, are frequently complaining. Um, and I got a great reminder uh, th- this weekend um, by a post made uh, by, by someone uh, reminding the, the reason that you know, what is the impetus for Nephi recording these things? Well, there's a number of them, and we'll get into this um, in, uh, in, in chapter 9 uh, a little bit as well as to why Nephi is recording the specific plates he's recording. But in generally, one of the reasons he's recording this record is to not only teach us, but also to teach his people. And what is it among the things that he wants to teach his people? If you remember, Nephi's recording these things many years after they've happened. Right? This is not Nephi keeping a diary of things as they're going on, as events unfold. This is Nephi several, you know, many years after they've already landed in the promised land, after all this has taken place, going back and recording things for his people. And part of the reason he's recording these things for his people is because there's major disputes between the Nephites and the Lamanites. And one of the main source of conflicts between these two groups is the Lamanites teach their children that Laman and Lemuel have been wronged by Nephi. And that is the reason that they have been separated from them because Nephi took advantage of them. Laman and Lemuel should have uh, received their father's blessings and they should be the ones that are leading this family. But Nephi, uh, in an unrighteous attempt to usurp power uh, and, and gain control over the family, especially after Lehi's death, uh, worked all of these uh, cunnings and manipulative uh, manners so that he could be the leader of the people. And it's because of that that they separated. And so part of what Nephi is trying to do here is to leave a record behind that says, look, I didn't trick anybody. I didn't do anything I wasn't supposed to do. Laman and Lemuel, they're the ones that didn't live up to their potential. They're the ones that gave up on their inheritance because of their lack of obedience. And here's my record to prove what happened, to prove that I was the righteous one and they're the ones that were complaining all the time and they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So in some ways it comes across to us as, you know, Nephi is trying to be this somewhat self-righteous, you know, presents himself almost as a self-righteous guy, whereas Laman and Lemuel are always the bad guys. And if that's the way it is, that's somewhat intentional because Nephi is trying to persuade his people that he's in the right here. Uh, and and that Laman and Lemuel um, are didn't act properly, and therefore the Lamanites 
uh, as they teach their people that uh, Nephi is the one that tried to steal power and that's why they're separated, the Lamanites are in the wrong. And so Nephi is trying to keep a record for his children to remember, look, we're the ones that are doing things right here. We're the ones that are striving to keep uh, the commandments of the Lord. We didn't try to steal power from Laman and Lemuel, uh, from Laman especially, this is the way it's, it's meant to be. So that's a little bit of background um, about the record and, and, and setting the stage as to where we're at. All right, now let's dive into this uh, incredible vision. And so Lehi has called everyone together and says, this is what I've seen. I want to share it with you. I'm going to start reading in chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. And it came to pass that as I followed him, I beheld myself that I was in a dark and dreary waste. And after I had traveled for the space of many hours in darkness, I began to pray unto the Lord that he would have mercy on me according to the multitude of his tender mercies. And it came to pass after I had prayed unto the Lord, I beheld a large and spacious field. And it came to pass that I beheld a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. And it came to pass that I did go forth and partake of the fruit thereof, and I beheld that it was most sweet above all that I ever before tasted. Yea, and I beheld that the fruit thereof was white to exceed all the whiteness that I had ever seen. Okay, so this is how Lehi starts his description of the vision. And it's a description of how he got to the tree in the first place. In this video, I'm going to kind of assume that we're all pretty familiar uh, with the details of Lehi's vision of the tree of life. So I'm not going to, you know, walk through each and every component of it and describe what it means. There, there'll probably be more of that next week, but but not not in this week's lesson. Um, I'm going to assume that you know that there's a tree, okay? And Lehi has gotten to this tree. And these few verses here describe that process, and I think it's an interesting one. In verse 7, he starts out by describing he was in, he found himself in a dark and dreary uh, dark, dark and dreary waste. And it's interesting that, like Nephi, he had an angel guiding him uh, through this vision. Or at least that's that's the description uh, in, in verse 5. A, a man in a white robe, I, th- I think we're to assume that that was an angel leading him. And where does this angel lead him? He leads him to this dark and dreary waste. He leads them to this place of darkness. And he's been traveling in this place of darkness for several hours, he says. And then after traveling for several hours, he begins to call upon the Lord in verse 8, that he, the Lord would have mercy upon him according to his multitude of his tender mercies. So he's in this dark place. He's been traveling for many hours. I, I guess I assume his angel guide has left him and he doesn't know what to do. And he remembers the Lord. And so he calls upon the Lord. And when he calls upon the Lord, he beholds a large and spacious field. And as he looks further into that field, he sees a tree. And he recognizes that the fruit was desirable to make one happy. And so he simply goes forth and walks to the tree and partakes of the fruit of the tree. And then we get this description about how it was... Uh, most sweet above all that I had ever before tasted, and most the whiteness uh, was ex- to exceed all the whiteness that he had ever before seen. So it's an interesting description, especially given the background that we have of knowing the rest of the details of this tree of, of this dream with 
the straight and narrow path, with the rod of iron, with the large and spacious building, with this, uh, with the with the filthy river and the mist. Lehi doesn't describe any of those in his own journey. His journey is simple. He's in a dark and dreary place. He calls upon the Lord. Once he calls upon the Lord, he sees a field, and within the field is a tree, and he walks to the tree and he partakes of it. Um, so, it's you know several things to point out here. Um, this is in some way a microcosm of the plan of salvation, uh, and that is what the focus of this dream is. Th- this vision is is many things, and it's beautiful and it's uh and there's lots of ways to understand it but i think at the end of the day this dream is a description of the plan of salvation and that's how we are to understand it lehi is in a dark and dreary place he doesn't know where he's at he thinks upon the lord he calls upon the lord and as soon as he calls upon the lord his eyes are open and he sees the tree he still has to exercise his agency and walk to the tree but once he does so he's arrives at the tree, he partakes of the fruit, and he is happy. And so it's a, it's a story of a journey, of a journey that begins in darkness. Once he has an interaction with God through prayer, he, the lights come on to him, and he sees where his destination is, and then he exercises his agency and walks to that destination. Now, this is... This, this idea that we are on a journey and we have a destination that we are going to is, is one of the major themes uh, throughout really all of Scripture. We see a number of different peoples throughout Scripture that have a similar journey to the one that Lehi took and to the one that all of the participants within Lehi's dream take. This idea that you start off in one place, you recognize that there is a better place, often identified as a land of promise, and you then go to that place. And that journey is often difficult, and there's many challenges upon that journey. But this idea that we're in one place, we want to go to our promised land, and then we make the effort of striving uh, to that promised land is repeated throughout scriptures and is Again, a microcosm of the plan of salvation. That's what it's all about, and that's why it's repeated in scriptures. This is a story, a pattern, that we are supposed to be able to relate to because we are all on a similar journey. We know where our promised land is. It is the celestial kingdom. It is returning to the presence of God, and we are now in the process of, now that we've identified that, now that we are cognizant of the fact that that is our eventual destination, Now our challenge is not to find where we want to go, but to actually get there. Now, this idea, you know, you think of other examples. You think of the brother of Jared and his people. You know, they were at the Tower of Babel at the time the languages were confused. Uh, The Lord promised them that if they would uh, continue to press forward, that they could inherit a promised land. And so they left where they were and moved towards that promised land and eventually got there. Uh, This, of course, was the case for the children of Israel. They were stuck in Egypt. Uh, The Lord told them that he had a promised land for them and that he would lead them there. This is the story of the children of Israel, the story of Exodus and the Lord leading and guiding them uh, through the wilderness to Jerusalem, to their promised land 
Um, you know, it also portrayed the exact same story here. Of course, Lehi and his family, they are on their way to the promised land also. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that he receives this vision in the midst of this same journey that he's on. Uh, and then another one to think about is uh, the, the saints at the, be- at the beginning of the founding of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The saints had gathered together. Uh, they gathered in a number of different places, and they were always looking forward to, to their Zion, to their promised land. And it was a difficult journey as they moved from New York to Ohio, eventually settling in Nauvoo for a time uh, before the Lord finally guided them to the Salt Lake Valley to where they could build their Zion to their promised land. And so we see this as a pattern that repeats itself throughout scriptures among the Lord's covenant people. And it's a pattern that also repeats itself every single day in our lives. Again, we know where our destination is. The challenge is we now have to move forward to get there. Now, there's one other uh, people that uh, I haven't talked about yet that also went on the same journey, um, and that is Adam and Eve. And the example of Adam and Eve knowing where they want to go and journeying to get there is such an important example of it. Every time we go to the temple and renew our covenants with the Lord by participating in the endowment process, we in fact reenact or relive with them that exact same journey. Remember, they were in the Garden of Eden. They were cast out of the garden. So they were put in, like Lehi, this dreary wilderness, this place of darkness. They began to call upon God. Once they called upon God, God provided them a path, provided them the plan of salvation that would allow them to return to the place they eventually want to get, which, of course, is back to the presence of God. <clears throat> now, the presence of God, interestingly, what is, how is that represented in the story of Adam and Eve? Well, of course, you'll recall in the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. There was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. Maybe bells are starting to go on. The same tree of life, the same name for this tree that, that Lehi has here. Now, they, of course, chose to eventually partake of the fruit, of the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Once they recognized that they could not progress if they stayed in the garden forever, uh, Eve led them through the process of bravely deciding that they were going to confront the challenges of mortality so that they could grow and improve and prepare themselves to return to the presence of God. But once they had exercised their agency to partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there was a problem. They couldn't at that point partake of the tree of life. They had lost. uh, The Lord prevented them from doing so. And we find that in Genesis Chapter 3, verse 24, where it states, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So after they partaken of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the Lord placed cherubim and a flaming sword in the east of the garden, which apparently is where the tree of life was located, to prevent them 
from partaking of the tree of life. Now, why did the Lord not want them to partake of the tree of life? Well, for this, let's turn to Alma chapter 12, verse 21. We're going to read verses 21 through 24. And this uh, is Zeezrom asking Alma a question, and then um, Alma explains it to him, starting in verse 21. What does the scripture mean which saith that God placed cherubim and a flaming sword on the east of the Garden of Eden, lest our first parents should enter and partake of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever? And thus we see there was no possible chance that they should live forever. Now Alma said unto him, This is the thing which I was about to explain. Now we see that Adam did fall by the partaking of the forbidden fruit, according to the word of God. And thus we see that by his fall, all mankind became a lost and fallen people. And now behold, I say unto you that if it had been possible for Adam to have partaken of the fruit of the tree of life at that time, there would have been no death, and the word would have been void, making God a liar. For he said, If thou eat, thou shalt surely die. And we see that death comes upon mankind, yea, the death which has been spoken of by Amulek, which is the temporal death. Nevertheless, there was a space granted unto man in which he might repent. Therefore, this life became a probationary state, a time to prepare to meet God, a time to prepare for that endless state which has been spoken of by us, which is after the resurrection of the dead. And so the reason that the Lord placed cherubim and the flaming sword east of the Garden of Eden to prevent Adam and Eve from partaking of the tree of life at that time was because they simply were not ready to partake of the tree of life. They had to undergo a probationary time, a probationary period. They had to go through life so that they would have the chance to repent, so that they would have the opportunity, because they had fallen and were no longer worthy to be in the presence of God, they now had to prepare themselves to be in the presence of God. And so the Lord placed cherubim and a flaming sword to make sure that they couldn't automatically reach out their hand and partake of the fruit from the tree of life because they weren't ready at that point. If they were brought back into the presence of God right after they fell, and and they were judged right at that point without having entered into covenants with their Savior and Redeemer, without having repented of their sins, and without having had a chance to keep their covenants and to progress along the path towards perfection— they would be brought back into the presence and would be judged and would be found wanting, unable to be happy and to stay in the presence of God. And so this cherubim and a flaming sword was placed there so that they would have to work and get to a place where they were ready to partake of the tree of life because they weren't there yet. And that is the same place that we all find ourselves in. We enter mortality, we, are, we leave the presence of God, and we inevitably commit sins. And because of those sins, we are not yet worthy to return to the presence of God. And so it is essential for each of us to, before returning to the presence of God, to repent of our sins and to enter into covenants with our Savior and to keep those covenants and to undergo all the challenges of mortality and to overcome those challenges through faith on Jesus Christ so that when we are brought back into the presence of God, 
when we are again brought before the tree of life, which is symbolic of the presence of God, that we are then ready and we will be judged. And because of the grace of God made available through Jesus Christ and our connection and our relationship with him, we will be able to be happy in the presence of God. And so that, that journey then, Adam and Eve leaving the Garden of Eden, again, calling upon the Lord who then presents to them the plan of salvation, the opportunity to enter into sacred covenants and to accept and, uh, and, and utilize the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ to prepare themselves to return to the presence of God. It is that process that we remind ourselves every time that we go to the temple. And as I've taught before, uh, the word temple <clears throat> is similar to template. The temple is a, and especially the endowment process, is a template of the entire plan of salvation. This, I, this, this journey from darkness back into the presence of God. The temple is where we learn in detail about that journey. And it's where we enter into the covenants that are necessary to prepare us to return to the presence of God. Which, when Latter-day Saints go to the temple and receive their endowments or renew the covenants that they make in the endowment process, that is exactly what we do. We enter into those covenants and we return uh, symbolically to the presence of God. And so that journey is what Adam and Eve went through. And that journey is what Lehi's dream is about. Lehi's dream is a temple dream. It's a template for the plan of salvation. It's the, a description of the process that everyone has to go through in order to return to the presence of God, which is, of course, symbolized by the tree of life. One more tree of life scripture uh, found in uh, Revelations chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Again, emphasizing here this idea that the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God is the presence of God. And for that, let's turn to uh, 1 Nephi chapter 11. I'm going to kind of cheat and, and work ahead uh, to next week's lesson, but just by sharing these few verses. Chapter 11, verses 21 through 23. And the angel said unto me, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father. Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? And I answered him, saying, Yea, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, it is the most desirable above all things. And he spake unto me, saying, Yea, and the most joyous to the soul. It's often interpreted that the, I, I mean, and it, it says here that the tree is, uh, represents the love of God. Um, but I think understood more broadly, the tree is more than just the love of God. It's the presence of God. It's being in God's presence. And the fruit of the tree that makes it possible for us to return to God's presence is uh, the, the atonement of Jesus Christ. And that's what 
motivates us. That's what drives us, and that's what makes it possible for us to return to God's presence. So it's essential that we understand that the tree of life, while it represents the love of God, understood more broadly, it is the actual presence of God. And this journey that Lehi goes on himself and that he is encouraging his children to go on and the numerous masses of people, multitudes of people that he sees, it's this journey that we are all on. It's this journey to return to the presence of God. Now, once Lehi gets there, uh, we get to, and he's partaken of the fruit. Uh, Famously, in verse 12, he talks about his desire for the rest of his families, where he says, And as I partook of the fruit thereof, it filled my soul with exceedingly great joy. Wherefore, I began to be desirous that my family should partake of it also. For I knew that it was desirable above all other fruit. And why is that fruit so desirable? Because it is the presence of God. Because it is the love of God. And what makes the presence of God so desirable is the love of God. These two are synonymous. We want to be in the presence of God because that is where we can most readily feel the love of God. That is where his love is so easily available. And that's why we want to be there. Now, the love of God is a purifying force. And if we are not ready to be in God's presence, we will not be able to withstand his love. The love that he has for us will cause us to feel great guilt if we are not supposed to be there. Uh, And so that is why there was cherubim and flaming sword placed for Adam and Eve so that they could not immediately return to the presence of God because they were not ready at that point. They hadn't entered into those covenants. And it's the challenge for each of us is to ourselves first put ourselves on the pathway back to the presence of God. And that's what a lot of the remainder part of Lehi's dream is about is individuals struggling and striving and overcoming challenges and especially the challenges of of the mockery of the world and their efforts to return to the presence of God. And so that's what the remainder of Lehi's dream is about. Um, And and so that's uh, where we we, we turn to now, this this desire to uh, partake of the fruit being symbolic of the love of God. And let's turn to, uh, also in uh, Alma, let's first turn to chapter uh, 32, verses 41 and 42. And, And of course, Alma 32, before I start reading that, Alma 32 is, uh, of course, the fam- Alma's famous discourse on faith. And as he talks about the love of God and being in the presence of God and his desire for his family to also come forth and partake of the same fruit to enjoy the presence of God. Um, Alma 32, I think, why I love these verses that I'm about to read, makes it more personal This is not just a passive thing where you go and you sit down at this tree and you lazily partake of it. Uh, Let's see what Alma uh, 32 says about uh, the tree of life. Verses 41 and 42. But if ye will nourish the word, yea, nourish the tree as it beginneth to grow by your faith with great diligence and with patience, looking forward to the fruit thereof, it shall take root. And behold, it shall be a tree springing up unto everlasting life. And because of your diligence and your faith and your patience with the word and nourishing it, that it may take root in you, behold, by and by ye shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, which is sweet above all that is sweet, 
which is white above all that is white, yea, and pure above all that is pure. And ye shall feast upon this fruit, even until ye are filled, that ye hunger not, neither shall ye thirst. Alma clearly is alluding back to the dream and the description of the fruit uh, that we have on record that was first had by Lehi and Nephi, as he talks about how it is uh, the most delicious, the most sweet, the most white, the most pure. Clearly, he's talking about the same fruit that Lehi was describing uh, in, in chapter 8 and describing his dream. But you remember, Alma chapter 32 is all about faith and how we take the seed of faith and plant it in our heart. And as we nourish that faith, it grows into a massive tree uh, that, that, that is the source, or not the source, but is the, the result and, the, and yields the fruits of our faith. So it's interesting that Alma ties these together. The result of our efforts and our faith and our diligence in keeping the commandments is that we sprout our own tree of life. And the love of God, which is symbolic of that tree, and the fruit from that tree, which is symbolic of the atonement of Jesus Christ, that comes from within us as we exercise faith and as we keep the commandments. So these are very, very personal things. So when Lehi is calling to his family and telling them, come and partake of the fruit, again, he's not just saying, hey guys, there's some free food over here. Let's come and pig out on it. He's saying, come guys, come upon this, come along this journey of faith. You're going to have to exercise diligence. You're going to have to keep the commandments. And it's going to be a faithful endeavor. It's not going to be obvious that this is the place that you should be going to. And that's obvious because we have this big building over to the side that we're going to read about in just a second. But this is a faithful exercise. It is moving forward uh, without knowing, in some ways without knowing for sure the end, because that's what the definition of faith is. It's evidence of things which are not seen, but which are true. And so we have to move forward with faith along the path towards the tree. And as we do so, the tree grows within us. And it's a very personal experience. It grows from throughout, it grows from our own hearts as we plant it within our hearts and exercise faith. So again, emphasizing this, this is not a passive experience partaking of the fruit. It's a challenge and it requires faith, but it's so worth it. And that is why Lehi is calling to his family. And that is why he is so concerned about Laman and Lemuel and their decision not to partake of the fruit. Because after he, after he partakes of it, he calls to his family. And in verse 15, it says, Even though so with a loud voice, and Nephi and Sam and Sariah, they hear his voice, and they see he's at the tree, and they say, Oh, yes, that is where we want to go also. And they journey, and it's a difficult journey, but they eventually get there, holding fast to the iron rod. But Laman and Lemuel, they refuse. They refuse to come to the tree. Perhaps they don't have the faith that is necessary in order to get there. As described in Alma 32, they haven't planted the seed of faith in their heart and they haven't nourished it. And so they don't have this tree of life, which could be thought of a desire to return to the tree of life. They don't have this desire within their hearts. And because of that, they cannot return 
to the presence of God and they cannot enjoy the love of God. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's clearly a heartbreaking experience for Lehi. And I think that's part of the reason why the first thing he does as soon as he has this vision is he tells it to his family. He's happy for you know, Nephi and Sam and Sariah, but he's so concerned about Laman and Lemuel because he loves them. But they won't exercise the faith that is necessary in order to go towards the tree. Okay, still in chapter 8, let's turn to verses 24 through 28. And it came to pass that I beheld others pressing forward, and they came forth and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron. And they did press forward through the midst of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron, even until they did come forth and partake of the fruit of the tree. And after they had partaken of the fruit of the tree, they did cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed. And I also cast my eyes around about, and beheld on the other side of the river of water a great and spacious building, and it stood as it were in the air high above the earth. And it was filled with people, both old and young, both male and female, and their manner of dress was exceedingly fine. And they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing fingers towards those who had come at and were partaking of the fruit. And after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them, and they fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. Several interesting things to note about this description here. Uh, these are obviously people that, in verse 24, were really working hard. They, you know, they caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, and they pressed forward, clinging to the rod, until they came forth to the fruit, and they partook of the fruit, and... They were in the presence of God. They were enjoying the love of God. And then they became distracted. And it's interesting to contrast the tree against the large and spacious building. And, you know, an initial, an initial reaction might be, you know, what's so great about eating fruit? That building actually sounds kind of interesting. Um, and again, we have to remember the difference between these two is that the tree is the love of God, the presence of God, being with him and where progression is possible, where it is possible because of his love and because of the grace made possible through the atonement of Jesus Christ that we can become our best selves, we can progress eternally. And whereas the tree offers the love of God on the one hand, the building offers nothing really it is a building built in the air it is without a foundation and what does it have it has a bunch of people in it dressed exceedingly fine and they are mocking so is where you have the love of god of the tree on one hand you have emptiness you have shallowness you have materialness and you have mockery and skepticism and ridicule you have the opposite of love in the building. And that, in my mind, is the difference between these two potential destinations. Because remember, this is a dream about our spiritual journey that we are all on. And the question for each of us must be, what is our journey? What is our destination? What is our promised land? Where is it that we want to go to? Do we have a vision of this tree? Do we have a desire to go there? 
Lehi goes out of his way to tell us how desirous this tree is and the fruit of this tree. Is that what we desire, though? At the end of the day, is that what we want? Is that our destination? Because the alternative is this building. The alternative is the ways of the world, the ways of materialness, the ways of ridicule, the way of doubt, the way of skepticism. It is emptiness, it is hollowness, and it will collapse. And it does not offer love. Because at the end of the day, that is what we want, is love. And that love that we all crave, that is part of our human nature to desire, is only available at the tree of life. And it is contracted by is contradicted by this building that does not offer love. It does not offer what it is that we as humans desire. It plays to us. It tempts us. It allures us. But it's interesting to note that those in verse, uh, in verse 28 that had partaken of the fruit, they turned away from the tree not because they saw that the building was more desirable, but rather they became ashamed because of the scoffing, because of the ridicule, because of the lack of love of those within the building, they became ashamed and they started to lose their focus. It's not, again, it's not that that building became desirable, but because the lack of love of the world made the presence of God, made the love of God seem less desirable. I find that an interesting uh, distinction. Now, verses um, 30 and 33. But to be short in writing, behold, he saw other multitudes pressing forward, and they came and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, and they did press their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron, until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. Skipping to verse 33. And great was the multitude that did enter into that strange building. And after they did enter into that building, they did point the finger of scorn at me and those that were taking of the fruit also. But we heeded them not. The, the interplay between the people of the tree that are partaking of the fruit of the tree and those in the building is, is very interesting. They must somehow be in relative close proximity to each other. And the difference is, of course, that those who... Partook of the, were partaking of the fruit of the tree and stayed at the tree, they heeded not the calls of the building. They recognized that that was a cold place without love, without anything uh, desirable to offer. And so they simply ignored it. They were content in what they had. They realized that they had already discovered their purpose. They were content in the love of God. And so they simply ignored the calls of those within the building. I want to share a quote from uh, Bishop W. Christopher Waddell that he gave in uh, April 2016 General Conference, where he said, A key difference between those who were ashamed, fell away, and were lost, and those who did not heed the mocking from the building and stood with the prophet is found in two phrases. First, after they had tasted, and second, those that were partaking. The first group had arrived at the tree, stood for a time with the prophet, but only tasted the fruit. By not continuing to eat, they allowed the taunting from the building to affect them, 
drawing them away from the prophet and into forbidden paths where they were lost. In contrast to those who tasted and wandered off were those who were found continuously partaking of the fruit. And so that is uh, also clearly one very important difference as well. Those that had arrived at the fruit had partaken of it, and then it appears that they stopped. They stopped, and then they looked around. And as they were looking around, they, were, uh, they became ashamed by the mocking of those uh, in the building. Whereas those who stayed and continued to enjoy the presence of God were continuously uh, enjoying and partaking of the fruit. They did not stop. And so I think that is one important lesson as to why it is so important for us, assuming that we are the type that want to stay in the presence of God, we must be continually partaking of the fruit. And I think that's one of the reasons why this Come Follow Me curriculum is so important. One of the important ways that we continually partake of the fruit is by continuing to study the Word of God, by not only just reading the scriptures, but actually studying them and trying to understand them and realize why it is that God has given them to us. Of course, we have to not only make covenants, but we have to keep covenants and renew those covenants by partaking of the sacrament every week, by attending the temple as as frequently as we reasonably can. Um, And then, of course, by keeping the commandments. Those are all important things that we must keep ourselves occupied with um, as we uh, so that we, as we continue to partake of this fruit. And I think it's particularly um, relevant in today's day. Because I think one of the challenges that we have in today's day is the question of what do we do with our time? We're all each allotted the same amount of time. Some time is have to be spent sleeping. And then there's, a, of course, a number of things that just simply have to be done, different tasks, whether it's running errands, Uh, Many people, it's working, it's going to school, but we each also, in addition to those things that we have to do, we have a certain amount of time in which we get to decide what we do with that time. And so, will we be using a sufficient amount of that time to continue to partake of the fruit of the tree of life by reading our scriptures, by serving others, by studying the word of God, by participating uh, in in callings and in church responsibilities and encouraging and doing missionary work and, of course, serving and helping other people? Or will we, like those who eventually fell away, get distracted? And there's so many distractions around us at this time. I don't think the large and spacious building anymore is an actual building. Perhaps the large and spacious building can be thought of as being Facebook or Instagram or any of the other Uh, social media, or really anything that has the potential that could be our interest in sports or interest in movies or following celebrities. There's, or or even, uh, you know, deep intellectual pursuits. There's a thousand other things that can distract us, that can draw our attention away from partaking of the fruit. And of course, I'm not saying that you have to do nothing but read your scriptures in your spare time. Of course, there's time for entertainment. But the question is, where is our focus? And do we give so much time to the ways of the great and spacious building that we don't leave enough time to partake of the fruit so that we get distracted and that we heed the mocking and the heckling crowds 
who are not interested in our salvation, again, they are not offering love. They are offering, if anything, a counterfeit. What they have to offer is negative. But are we giving enough time to partaking of the fruit, to enjoying the love of God that is made available to each of us? And again, so easily now, uh, through scriptures, uh, through lessons, through so many good books that are available. There's so many edifying ways in which we could be spending our time. You know, hopefully we all think about um, <clears throat> you know, how, what we are doing, whether or not we are enjoying uh, the fruit of God, uh, the fruit of the tree of life on a uh, consistent basis. Uh, but again, as we think about this dream and as we put it in context, I think the most important thing is to remember and to understand this dream, this journey that Lehi goes on, this journey that his family members and all of the multitudes that he sees within this dream, this journey is our journey. It is a template for the plan of salvation and the journey that we are on as we leave the mist of darkness as we recognize God and begin to call upon God and to see where our destination, to see where our promised land is. And then we begin the process of journeying towards that promised land. And now I do recognize in some ways we, we are in fact mixing metaphors because as we talk about being in the presence of God, of course we are not right now in the presence of God. That is something that will happen at a future date. And right now, we remain in the process of struggling. We remain in the process of holding fast to that iron rod as we continue to trod the path that leads back to God's presence. And so whether you think of the tree of life as something that we've already entered into and received as we enter into covenants with God, and that's, I think, an appropriate explanation, or whether it's actually returning to the presence of God after the resurrection and after uh, the judgment. Um, that is also an appropriate understanding. But I, again, the important thing here is recognizing that this is a microcosm of the plan of salvation, the spiritual journey that each of us must be on and that we must undertake in order to eventually reach our promised land, to reach our goal which is the presence of God where we can enjoy his love forever and eternally progress and improve and become like him. Oh, close chapter 8 with verse 37 where it says, And he did exhort them then with all the feeling of a tender parent that they would hearken to the words that perhaps the Lord would be merciful to them and not cast them off. Yea, my father did preach unto them. I just love how real this is for Lehi. I love that phrase, all the feeling of a tender parent. You know, you can just feel how deeply uh, he loves his parent, his children and how concerned he is about the fact that they chose not to progress towards the tree of life. They made the decision to walk in other paths. And I'm sure there's viewers out there that have children that have made that decision. Of course, the counsel is... Don't give up. Keep loving. And I, I think the challenge would be to continue to do everything you can to help your children feel the love of God. Because, again, they have to recognize that that tree is the destination that they want to go to. And that tree is the love of God. And so 
We need to do everything we can to help those that are currently not walking towards that destination to feel God's love, to know that he loves them, and continue to pray that one day the light, that something will click and that they will realize, you know what, that love of God that I've felt from time to time in my life, that's where I want to be. The great and spacious building does not offer that love. It is a farce. It is empty. It is cold. It doesn't offer the love that God has for me. Um, and, and so you can feel Lehi's desire to help his children feel God's love and try to motivate them with all the t- feeling of a tender parent to desire that love and to make the decisions that will eventually lead them back there. Uh, chapter 9 uh, is very short. And so, so what we have here is the first eight chapters is Nephi has been basically taking the record of his father, uh, which I think we can, um, pro- we can assume is largely what was in the 116 pages of manuscript that was lost, which Joseph Smith said had the book of Lehi. So I think probably the first eight chapters was Nephi's uh, summary of the book of Lehi, of what was lost with the 116 pages. As Nephi in chapter 9 is describing, all right, I don't understand why I'm doing this, but um, I've taken what I had written in the book of Lehi. And it's my understanding that the book of Lehi was in fact written by Nephi on the large plates of Nephi. It wasn't written by Lehi, but it was written by Nephi himself on the large plates. And his original plan was to just create this, the large plates, and then it's the large plates that continue starting in Mosiah all the way through, um, through the end of the Book of Mormon, at least. Um, it's those large plates uh, that is what we have at the end of the Book of Mormon. And what Nephi had originally started those large plates with the book of Lehi. But he stops and he tells us here, you know what, I don't know why I'm doing this, but in addition to these large plates on which I've uh, written down the book of Lehi, the record of my father, I'm also providing these first eight chapters here, this summary on these small plates. And now I'm going to continue with on these small plates. And on these small plates... The purpose is going to be a different, a little bit different than the large plates. Not only am I going to provide a history of what went on, but I'm going to focus these small plates more upon the spiritual things. And just very quickly, I love in verse uh, 5 and 6, uh, you just see the faith of Nephi coming through as he undertakes what no doubt is a very, very tedious process to prepare not only these large plates where he gives the uh, political and much more uh, historical context of what went on, But also, in addition, he's preparing these small plates. And in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 9, he says, Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me to make these plates for a wise purpose in him, which purpose I know not. But the Lord knoweth all things from the beginning. Wherefore he prepareth a way to accomplish all his works among the children of men. For behold, he hath all power unto the fulfilling of all his works. And thus it is. Amen. I love that at the end. And thus it is. And that's the way it is. The Lord has all power, so I'm going to do what the Lord commands me to do, even if I don't understand exactly why it is that he's commanding me to do so. And of course, it wasn't until thousands of years later 
that it became obvious why the Lord had commanded to do so, commanded him to do so. Uh, once the 116 pages were lost, fortunately, we still have this record of, of Lehi and his family and their journeyings in the wilderness. Chapter 10, uh, going to go through quickly. Um, and so in chapter 8, we have this account of uh, Lehi telling his family his dream. Chapter 9, Nephi interjects and says, I don't know why I'm doing this. I've got these two separate records. And then chapter 10, we're back to uh, Lehi uh, giving uh, the record to his family, except now it's no longer Nephi. Uh, sorry, it's no longer Nephi recording Lehi. This is Nephi recording Nephi here. And he starts that in verse 1. You know, I proceed to give an account upon these plates of my proceedings and my reign. So, We've kind of turned the page, and whereas the first eight chapters were a summary of what Lehi did, starting in chapter 10 now, this is, Le- this is Nephi's record. But, of course, he starts with telling uh, what his father did after describing his dream to his family, and that's in verse 2. For behold, it came to pass after my father had made an end of speaking the words of his dream and also of exhorting them to all diligence, he spake unto them concerning the Jews." The first thing he does uh, after he recounts his dream is he starts teaching them about the Jewish people. Verse 3, that after they should be destroyed, even that great city Jerusalem and many be carried away captive into Babylon, according to their own due time of the Lord, they should return again, yea, even be brought back out of captivity. And after they should be brought back out of captivity, they should possess again the land of their inheritance. What we have here, and the reason, you know, it's a reasonable question. Why would Lehi, as soon as he is done talking about this dream, all of a sudden turn and start talking about the Jewish people and their history? Because it's the same process. Because the Jewish people are going on this same journey that Lehi just described each and every single one of us is on. The Jewish people, they have been scattered but they are going to be brought back again to the land of their inheritance, to their promised land. The Lord will lead and guide them back to the tree of life. Verses 4 to 6. Yea, even 600 years from the time that my father left Jerusalem, a prophet would the Lord God raise up among the Jews, even a Messiah, even a Messiah or in other words, a savior of the world, And he also spake concerning the prophets, how great a number had testified of these things concerning this Messiah, of whom he had spoken, or this Redeemer of the world. Wherefore all mankind were in a lost and in a fallen state, and ever would be, save they should rely on this Redeemer. So again, the Jews, they're in a lost and fallen state, they're in a dark and dreary world, and it's not only the Jews, it's every single one of us, and they would forever remain in that place except for the Messiah, except for the Redeemer. He is the one that leads us and guides us and makes it possible for us to return to the tree of life, to return to the presence of God so that we can partake of the fruit that is symbolic of God's love for us. That is only possible through a Redeemer, regardless of whether you're not the Jewish people as a nation who is collectively trying to be saved and brought back into their promised land, or whether that's each and every one of us on an individual basis as we struggle day to day to hold fast to the iron rod, as we strive to keep our covenants and progress, knowing that eventually our destination is 
the celestial kingdom and the presence of God. And then we'll close with verse, uh, seven, verses 17 through 19. And it came to pass that after I, Nephi, having heard all the words of my father concerning the things which he saw in a vision, and also the things which he spake by the power of the Holy Ghost, which power he received by faith on the Son of God, and the Son of God was the Messiah who should come, I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him, as well in times of old as in times that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the way is prepared for all men from the foundation of the world, if it so be that they repent and come unto him. For he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost, as well as in times as in times of old, and as well as in times of old as in times to come. Wherefore, the course of the Lord is one eternal round. What I see Nephi is doing here is he's challenging you and me. He's saying, all right, I've presented to you this dream of my father. And after I heard about this dream, I had to desire that I would understand what this dream meant. And so exercising faith in God, I went and prayed to him. And I'm about to show you the answer that the Lord gave to me. That's next week's lesson. But I see Nephi here is challenging each and every one of us, say, every one of us saying, the Lord, not only will he answer my prayer, but because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he will answer your prayer. Because my father's dream is the course that we are all on. The journey that those within my father's dream was on is the spiritual journey that each and every one of us has to walk. And so I see Nephi here is challenging us. Once you've heard about this dream, once you've understand that this dream is symbolic of the path of the journey that all of us are us all of us are on as we strive to return to the presence of God get on your knees seek revelation for yourself that you too will know how to get back to the presence of God that you too will have that desire to return to the presence of God that you will have that hope in God's presence that you will exercise the faith necessary, planting the seed that Alma talks about, so that the tree of life and the desire for this fruit can grow within each and every one of you. And that is my hope, that we will each study Lehi's dream, recognizing what it symbolizes. It symbolizes the plan of salvation. And that plan of salvation, and understanding that plan of salvation, is so critical to us. Once Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, and once they began to call upon God, God came and taught them the plan of salvation so that they could understand what their journey was. And each of us need to understand what our journey is, and we need to help others understand what our journey is. And that journey is entering into covenants with Jesus Christ, keeping those covenants and exercising faith unto repentance so that as we move forward in life, we can continually progress towards the tree of life, 
towards the presence of God, where once we have entered in, as we keep those covenants, we can partake of that fruit that came forth because of our faith, that is symbolic of the love of God, and enjoy God's presence forever. And I hope that we will all do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.